I am so glad to welcome you back to the second episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Thank you so much for checking it out. This show is all about learning more about the authors that have inspired us and diving into the stories that they not only created, but lived as well. So join us as we explore the worlds that live just out of reach. Today we finish talking about C.S. Lewis in his later life through an actual marriage to a woman that he may or may not have been in love with at the time of wedding, writing the Chronicles of Narnia, and his death as a celebrated children's author who never actually had any kids. This is a multiple episode series where we cover his life and imagination as well as some of the more subtle themes that he laid into his works. If you want to know about Lewis for more than just a Christian apologist, or understand the personal history that helped create a beloved fantasy, then this is a great place to start. Hey there, and welcome back to Between Lewis and Lovecraft, a podcast where we dive into the stories of authors both on page and off page. Meaning in their lives, not like they're diving off of pages into a pool or that something. That would be bad. Yeah. Uh, I am Tyler Clausen. And I'm Hannah Ray Lambert. And that is all the information I have for us today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to take the lead here, obviously. Yeah, until and, uh, I interrupt you. Yeah, with until some he interrupts thing. with some random facts. So uh, last, last episode, we left you guys with one heck of a cliffhanger. Oh, man. Not the world how was did. on fire. Yeah, the world was on fire. I mean,. Jack or C.S. Lewis, as some people call him. Yeah. I call him Jack because we're close personal friends. And the cover of your book. It calls him Jack. Jack. Jack throughout yeah. the whole thing. So he was in the hospital, and that was right. not the most dramatic part of that Mm-mm. episode. No, it was not. What was, was trying to figure out how exactly his brother got to said hospital right. to visit him. Tyler, you thought motorcycle. I. Right. I thought it, he just drove a cool motorcycle for a nice ride. I said bi- bicycle. 50 miles. 50 miles one way. Yeah. And so when Tyler questioned me, I started to doubt myself because mm-hmm. it does seem absurd to bicycle, to bicycle 100 miles. miles in one day. This isn't like, we're not talking like, okay, nowadays people go on paved roads in these like b- bicycles that are designed to basically take you halfway there with one step, one yes. p- little pedal, and you're just going to fly. They're efficient yeah, and well, well uh, maintained. Um, but Tyler, I just want to say, I'm pretty sure I was right. And <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty sure, sure I was right. And I'm going to read the quote from the biography Do it. that I was reading. Do it. Prove Kay. me wrong. So George Sayer, close personal friend of C.S. Lewis, yeah. writes, When Warren, that's his brother, by the way, Heard the news, he borrowed a bicycle and rode the 50 miles to a Taples, it's something French, <laughs> something French. <laughs> where he found Jack only slightly wounded and in great form, expecting to be sent home. Thank God he is out of it for a bit. To cycle 100 miles in one day was a Ooh. great achievement for Warren, who was neither athletic nor energetic. Okay. So I'm on the bicycle. I mean, he used really pedal power. The, the period in that sentence is the, the defining factor is. He said he's a, he's not athletic. Yeah, and you, you don't talk have to be about, athletic yeah, to ride a motorcycle. The only thing I'd say is like we're talking about English people, right? Like, and they call elevators lifts, right? They're like, uh, my my mobile phone, right? Like, I'm just saying, you know, maybe in England or France, they're like, oh, the bicycle with 
the motor on it, and you know they get all weird about the way. I'm just. What's I'm really just weird that, is your British accent, but go on. Uh, that was a perfect British accent. <laughs> I could be British. You probably are. A little bit. You're secretly British. But yeah, so um, hopefully you all agree with me. <laughs> if I could have an English accent all the time, I would do that. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry, you didn't see me making all of my faces. She made some weird faces. <laughs> they, they were not great. <laughs> um, so uh, real quick, just to get this in there, like we do want to talk about the fact that we are at the Book Nook. Yes. Hanging yes. out. Uh, Megan has let us, uh, yet again, she's opened up our door, her door to let us come and set up in the middle of this store. <laughs> While people are still shopping. Yeah, they're, they're going to hang out, read some books, and listen to us talk about. Poor fools. Yeah, they have no idea what's coming. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, so thanks to Megan for all of this. Yeah, so if you're in the Canby area, you should definitely come check out the cool book nook. Um, and if you're not, drive your motorcycle 50 miles. Yes. Maybe not your bicycle. Hey, it's How good far for away your is that? health. That'd be like North Portland, right? That'd be like Vancouverish. Oh, that, I mean, Portland's like 25 miles, oh, I thought, so. I thought it was further than that. No. Nope. You're right. We're talking <laughs> it like. It just feels that way with traffic. Of, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're totally right. Ride to Portland and back. Twice. I know people that have done that. I know people that have gone from Portland to Salem on a bicycle. And they were stopping in Canby at the Burgerville. And I was like, hey, friend. And they're like, hey, what, what do you do? I was like, nothing. I'm just feeding fat, eating fast food. And they're like, we're being really athletic. and Also eating fast food, but also we're going to burn it off. But it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not about that life. Yeah, me either. Yeah. All right. Thank yous. Out of the way. Yeah. We'll talk about it more later. We I'm will. Sure. Megan's awesome. We'll, yeah. we'll mention her many times. So um, last time we had talked about Mrs. Moore. Right. And Real quick, just to get this out of the way, too. C.S. Lewis did live. Oh, yeah. We were kind of like doing the bait and switch thing. Right. That. He definitely lived. He definitely lived. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, but he went on to have a very successful career, which we're about to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> so, let's talk about his books. Yeah, so uh, after his military career, he returned to Oxford and had a thriving academic career and was really able to write a lot more. Um, one of his early books was uh, Spirits in Bondage, which he actually published under a pseudonym in 1919. Um, that one was very well reviewed, but it didn't sell well. And he had that problem with a lot of his early work, actually. Yeah, and from what I was reading, um, even even him getting it published was kind of the publisher taking a bit of a risk on him because... He was young. He, he was really young. I mean, we're talking early college years. Yeah, he was 20 at that point mm-hmm. um, because one of the letters from his brother Warren to his father um, had Warren disapproving of mm-hmm. that particular book. Yeah. And in it, he wrote... Even at 23, which is how old Warren was at the time, one realizes that the opinions of a 20, how old Jack was, are transient things. Jack's atheism is, I am sure, purely academic, but even so, no useful purpose is served by endeavoring to advertise oneself as an atheist. Yeah, and it's super weird, too, because the the book, um, The Spirits in Bondage, it actually started out um, something like Spirits in Prison or Prison Spirits, and it's... it's um, an, an illusion? It's uh, allegory? Illusion? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. No, no. An A it's, word. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those literature words. <laughs> um, basically, it's pointing out the scripture that talks about the, that Jesus went down to 
descended down and sermoned to the spirits that were held in hell. Um, and so it's super interesting that even at this time as an atheist, a, a prominent atheist, like there's no part of Lewis that likes God or Christ at all, right? Um, and yet he's still, this is a big part of his life. It's a big part of his upbringing and, and what he is dealing with in his thought life. Uh, he's rolling around with all these thoughts. So I, I just thought that was interesting. No, it is. Um, do you have any idea as to what would make all of his works kind of have that religious undertone when he is, like you said, 100% atheist? Do you want Do you want my opinion as just a random person or my opinion as a Christian? Oh, opinion as a Christian. Yeah. To me, as a Christian, uh, I I view it as someone who is working through his own faith. I think um, ultimately he's you know, and I I'm actually currently doing this. You know, I I'm I'm wrestling with a lot of what my upbringing was and and where I stand on a lot of things. And I'm super not where I was even five years ago before I got married, but um, but it never leaves my mind. Um, every thought, you know, is like, do I really believe that? Or do I, should I believe it differently? Why do I believe this? Is it because my dad told me I needed to believe that? Or, you know, why do I follow this way? Am I doing it just because I don't want to believe that? And I think that's kind of what Lewis was doing at this point. I mean, he is still young and I mean, he's an intelligent guy, but he's still young there. Your brain doesn't stop forming until you're 25 years old. So he is still processing a lot of that stuff. And so, as a Christian, I'd say that he is wrestling with a faith that he does. It's it, there's a seed. There's something there. He wants to deny it as much as possible, but it's it's something that he can't get rid of. There's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that makes sense. But I can also step out of that that Christian background and upbringing and, and faith that I have, and just be like, the everybody back then was either very Christian or very not Christian. And he was around people like the Great Knock, who the Great Knock was not Christian. He was not, uh, he was an atheist, a staunch atheist, and he brought Lewis up thinking about these things. And when you're really trying to prove that you're not something, you spend most of your time telling people how you're not that thing. Like when I got, when I got pulled into a, a, a multi-level marketing scheme. Oh, no. <laughs> the, the thing that they tried to prove the most is that they're not a pyramid scheme. Yep. So I was like, you're obviously a pyramid scheme if, if all you talk about is how you're not a pyramid scheme. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's just that. So he's clearly a Christian because all he talks about is... It's not being a Christian. He's not a Christian. I'm not a Christian, dude. <laughs> I swear. I swear to God, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> I, and, and so, yeah, I can straddle the line on both of those where some people will be like, I don't think that that's fair to be like, oh, he's a Christian even if he doesn't want to be one. <laughs> the, you're right. It's not fair to say that, but I, I do still kind of yeah. have that opinion. That seems fair. But yeah, so, I mean, obviously he was getting published as early as 20 years old, so he was kind of off to a good start there. Um, and he started working as a tutor also at University College, and then the next year was elected as a fellow of Magdalen College, Oxford. Um, and what does that mean? I don't really know. <laughs> it's a fancy title. He had many of these throughout his career. Uh, he was a tutor in English language and literature for 29 years. So yeah, he yeah. was really 
we could say he was an academic through sure. and through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, you don't need to spend a lot of time on, because there is so much you could talk about that it's a little overwhelming and yeah. it seems really dusty and boring. <laughs> he <laughs> fit in, in an academic thing. environment, yeah. which is funny considering his previous experiences as a student, but mm-hmm. it, it ended up being a really formative experience for him because while he was, um, working as a tutor in 1933, that's where he met J.R.R. Tolkien, who was, mm-hmm. of course, going to have one of the biggest influences on him of anyone, probably next to his in, brother Warren and his friend Arthur. That was in 33? That was in 30... Well, he met Tolkien in 1929. Okay. Um, he had studied under him at one point because Tolkien was also um, a tutor and... They realized that they had a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Um, they both liked northernness and yeah. Norse mythology. Um, so yeah, and not long after that was when Tolkien asked for Jack's opinions on two of his poems, versions of what would later be published as, and I always am about to pronounce this wrong, the Silmarillion. Salmarinian. Salmarillion. Salmarinian. I think uh, you Meridian, know. Meridian, but it's spelled with L's. You're right. I don't know. Salmarillion. I'm not gonna sound like. I'm not gonna pretend like I know. I've always just called it the Salmarinian, and I'm probably wrong. <laughs> it's well, his pre-Lord of the Rings. When Stephen Colbert work. calls me to tell me the correct pronunciation, that's when I will start to care. I'm glad Stephen Colbert has had such an influence on your life. Stephen Colbert is like one of my favorite people in the entire world. Stephen, please call him and tell him how to pronounce this. <laughs> please, Stephen, please. I think it's Salmarinian. But anyway, so Tolkien gave him those to read, and Tolkien apparently didn't. Uh, appreciate any of the improvements that Jack suggested, but right. he did like his enthusiasm <laughs> and suggested they meet weekly. So I he don't could like read. what you're saying here, buddy, but I like your moxie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they became kind of like critique partners and yeah. every week. And then in 1933, that's when they kind of grew their group with Warren, uh, Jack's brother, obviously, and some other writers at the college. Um, Hugo Dyson was one name that I recognized. They had some others that I yeah. just, I assume they were semi-successful British types. Oh, who do you want to talk uh, about? We'll talk about them in a minute. Because okay. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Oh. I think. Because you're already in 1933. Well, like, I'm you're just, trekking along. When they're then. starting the Inklings. Sure. Which is okay. the, what they kind of called themselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> real quick, I just, uh, so you and I started out uh, our friendship with us being critique partners. Oh, yeah. How... How would you have dealt with it if you had sent me your notes on my book? And I was like, listen, Hannah, <laughs> listen, I, I'm i not going to use any of your <laughs> comments, but I really like that you commented. <laughs> Thank you for commenting on my Drive PDF, but uh, I, I'm just, I'm not going to use any of them. <laughs> Ooh. I mean, Tolkien really needed an editor, so I think he should have been more receptive to yeah, Jack's critiques. Yeah. I don't know about you personally, though, but... I also need an editor pretty yeah, badly. Yeah, I, I like to think my critiques are worthwhile, so... You do so. a great job. I use all of your critiques, <laughs> just so you know. He might be exaggerating there, but... I do. I use almost all of them. Yeah. We are... I use, like, half of them. <laughs> like, I was just going down. <laughs> We're a more functional version of uh, Lewis and Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, real quick, no, I don't have anything. All <laughs> my stuff, I guess, is for, for later, because when did he write 
the um, the progr- pilgrims regress. Oh, we're gonna get there. Oh, we're yeah. not there yet. No, we're not okay. there yet. Okay. So, around the time that he was uh, meeting Tolkien and kind of some of the other guys from that would become the Inklings, um, was that was around the time when he found God again officially. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1929 was sort of when that started, and that was around the time his father died. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? No. The only thing that I saw, and again, I, I spent a lot less time reading in the back half of this book. Um, I, I would normally just open up a random page and try and read a few, like a page or two, and then move on. Um, but what I did see was that his his moving towards accepting God was very slow like very slow where it started out he it wasn't even before he wouldn't even have the conversation mm-hmm. right again to me that's just proof in the pudding of like <laughs> don't want to have this conversation but i don't whatever. want to talk about it yeah <laughs> i don't want to talk about it Dad. <laughs> um but i i uh, he wouldn't have the conversation and then slowly he started to come to the realization that he needed to have the conversation and then soon it, it came to a point where he was like there is a god in the sense that there's an absolute but there's mm-hmm. no telling what that is it's unknowable it's completely effable and what's what's the point but to help my logical thinking i do have to accept that there's something there yeah right and that's kind of where and then I jumped forward like three chapters in my book, and he's a Christian now. So. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> so definitely a, a slow, a slow process, um, and you know, largely influenced by the long talks he was having on Christianity with Tolkien and Hugo Dyson. Um, mm-hmm. Just, I mean, side note: let's bring back the long walks thing because yeah. these guys seem to do it all the time. They're walking around campus at all mm. hours of the night talking about God and stuff. And yeah. I mean, it seemed to have. Did they did they talk about the the one specific instance where he really kind of started to change um, into not just a, a God believing but a, a Christian? You mean the one like particular night that he yeah. was talking with those guys? It did. I don't have any notes on that though. Do you remember like specifically what their arguments were? Not not the him? arguments them themselves, but they. So it was Hugo and and Tolkien and mm-hmm. um, and Lewis, and they went for a walk. Uh, as they do because they're nerds and that's all they do. Um, and it was like super late. It was like two o'clock in the morning. Um, and at one point, you know, they're all arguing and they saw a gust of wind. Yes. Right? <laughs> I yeah. like how excited Sorry. he got over Sorry. that. I remember that part because then Jack was like, oh my gosh, that's like some physical proof. Yeah. And that didn't quite put it over the edge yet into right. being There's a Christian. There's still discussion that needed to happen. Uh, with, with Jack, there's always a discussion that needs to follow behind anything. He needs to think through it. And that's what they did. They talked about it. And and this whole idea of like, um, you know, when in Latin or something, the word for wind is the same as breath, is the same of life. And so this wind really started to to mess with him and and his thinking. And then Tolkien was too tired. He's like, yo, dude, it's three o'clock in the morning. I need to go to bed. I have a wife and like four kids and like, (laughs) You know, I'm writing the uh, an entire world. You know, it's not a big deal. Uh, so he goes to bed, and then Hugo and, and Lewis go back to their place, and they're just, you know, still chatting until, like, 4 a.m. And then it's, like, the next day, Lewis is like, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think I'm starting to move towards this. And it was weird because he sent a letter to 
Arthur, his best friend, mm-hmm. which we talked about in the last episode. Um, he sent a letter to Arthur and said, hey, this happened. I'll write more in a couple of weeks when I have a chance. And then in that two-week period, it almost seemed like he regressed. And he, like, in the first letter, he's like, hey, I'm a Christian now. Guess what? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then in that later two weeks period, he's like, I've really got to think through this if, like, it's really a viable choice. You know, and so it's interesting how he keeps, in this time, he's wavering in that. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is, honestly, I think that's important. Well, because, yeah, with any big change in your life, you're going to have doubts. Yeah. And uh, this decision that people, I don't know, I, and we can get into a really big theological debate um, pretty quickly, um, but it's it to me, it's just crazy when people put so much stock into that first initial, like, I'm a Christian now, and they're like, praise the Lord, yeah! <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's not how it works. Like, the mind doesn't just completely change like that no matter how much you want to hope that it does and and hope that this holy spirit comes down and creates a revelation like we don't change like that it takes so long for us to change and i i think that that jack being willing to be honest about that in himself and be logical i think that's really a good example of how people can pursue that relationship yeah it's probably a lot healthier than say if you feel that initial like excitement about something new and then you try to i don't know fake it almost (laughs) yeah (laughs) you don't you don't want to be honest about the doubts that you're having i don't think that's a good recipe for long-term success or happiness right so yeah it's probably it probably worked out better for him that he approached it the way he did and it was good that he had so many friends around him that he could talk about it with yeah one of those people and you asked about it earlier i guess I'll, i'll talk about it now is um Charles Williams. I didn't know who that was. I don't know who he is either. <laughs> but in my book, The Narnian, they talk about him quite a bit. A lot. Not, uh, probably like a page or two. This is, again, one of those, like, I was just scanning through and it's like, ah, oh, I saw the word inkling. Let's see what the inklings dive into that. And he talks about Charles Williams the most. Um, oh, I just got a notification that we should be recording our podcast right now. Oh, thanks, Bone. Yeah. A little late to the party. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Charles Williams, a uh, super interesting guy, and he he and Lewis met because Lewis read his book first, and then um, sent him actually fan mail. Yeah, like Lewis never sent fan mail, but he sent fan <laughs> mail to to this guy, which tells you how much. Sorry, I'm distracted because I'm looking for a page. Cause no, that's fine. He obviously really liked Charles Williams. He loved Charles Williams. Um, <coughs> And, um, and <laughs> Charles was really weird. Like, he wrote really dark books that, like, Tolkien had read and was like, nah. Like, he's good, but nah, I don't like his stuff. <laughs> I like how I'm making Tolkien sound like a really normal guy. Every time I do my impersonation of Tolkien, I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. I mean, who's to say he wasn't normal? <laughs> <laughs> Except for all of the things that we mentioned last podcast. Right. Well, Tolkien. That's Lewis. Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you were yeah, talking about Lewis. No, no. But, no, so take all those things that we talked about with Lewis, like his spanking uh, and his fantasy His weird stuff. relationship. This is, Charles Williams is weirder. He's a weird guy. And he, he writes dark books. Um, um, kind of, it's super interesting. I want to go and read some of his stuff now and maybe cover an episode 
of him because it almost sounds like he's pretty close to a Lovecraftian type of mm. of horror. Almost they called them paranormal thrillers. Um, Lewis liked his stuff so much that he he wrote him a letter, and in response he got a letter back almost immediately saying, "I was literally writing a letter to you." Uh, to tell you how much I loved your book, Allegory of, Lo- Aww, of Love. Bromance. <laughs> I know, right? So then they get together and have um, coffee or whatever they do. <laughs> and then Lewis is like, yo, come join my, my Inklings group. So he joined and you know everybody loved him. Like he was just, it was insane. Everybody would talk about him. Um, and here's a passage from the Narnian. Um, I'm pretty sure this is Lewis talking about him. Uh, For the first time in my life, I felt myself in the presence of personal sanctity. I had met many good people before who made me feel ashamed of my own shortcomings, but in the presence of this man, we never discussed anything but literary business. I did not feel ashamed. I felt transformed into a person who was incapable of doing or thinking anything based or base or unloving. I later discovered that he had a similar effect on many other people. And it says here that... Um, Many years after first meeting Williams, he would recall that interview in surprising terms and mark it as one of the events that led him to embrace the Christian faith. Wow. So this guy who's super weird and writes, and writes dark, dark stuff. deep stuff and has like like the same kind of like creepy, erotic things that Lewis is about, um, that Lewis kind of grows out of, but Charles Williams never did. This is the guy that had a profound effect on Lewis's relationship with Christ. And I just, I, I love that. So, full disclosure, as someone who's not really religious at mm-hmm. all, I think one of the most interesting things about reading about Lewis and his friends like mm-hmm. that has been how much I've learned about the concept of Christianity and how it doesn't have to just look like your typical churchy type. Right. Like, right. uptight, any of the mean stereotypes you want to go into it's like these are guys who obviously had a lot of vices and Mm -hmm. had really non-traditional paths to finding god and their religion yeah and i think that's been one of the eye-opening things about this yeah which i would not have expected from c.s lewis going into this i was like oh yeah he writes about god he's a church guy he's a church guy yeah exactly and that's that's why Lewis has always been one of my favorite authors, because the more you discover about him, the more you discover he is just a man. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a cool guy, and he has some weird stuff about him. I mean, he's weird around women. You know, he, he writes children's tales, even though he doesn't have kids and doesn't really hang out with kids around them or anything like that. Uh, he hangs out in bars with his literary friends talking about philosophy and yep. medieval literature and... But then he writes about demons and hell and heaven, and I'm like... Well, and even... I mean, we'll get into this more later, but even his Christian books are, like, from a very weird yeah. perspective. Like, the screw tape letters, they're yeah. written about demons talking mm-hmm. to each other. It's like, it's not typically what you would think of as a Christian literature. Right, exactly. And that's something... Yeah, we can get into it more. I, I'm yeah. excited to talk <laughs> about that, so... Um, but yeah, I just really, when I, I was really encouraged by the, the Charles Williams character in this story of someone who is living his life, you know, and he really what I got from that is he's a genuine person. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to be anything. And when he's, when you're with him, you just feel genuine. You feel like you can be you. And through that, he found Christ. And that 100% is exactly what I want to be in my life. You know, and, and so it's weird how getting to know Lewis has shown me someone else who I like 
that's who I really want to be like. Yeah. You know, like Lewis, I want to be a good author, like, but Charles Williams, I want to be like him because he's genuine. You yeah. Know? So that I think that's really one of the cool. rarest qualities in people is being genuine. Being genuine. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was really, and, and I, I don't know if you, did you get much out of the whole fact that Lewis hated T.S. Eliot? No. There's something in there. Like he hated. <laughs> Do they have like a rivalry, or did he just really disdain his work? A big thing about it, and I think I guess it comes later, but he questioned his Christianity a little bit, like his his conversion to Christianity. And Lewis questioned Eliot. Yes, Eliot's. Yeah, and then like it, it was, and then I think because uh, Eliot was he became a Catholic. There's a little bit of that, but uh, there was something else where it was like he he didn't like his writings or something. I don't know. They had beef. Yeah, uh, I just didn't know. If th- I saw a very short amount of that, and I thought I'd ask and see if he knew anything about it. No, I didn't see any of that. I knew that Lewis was like definitely had the potential to be a snob about people's work, so mm-hmm. that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, he definitely yeah. was because he's a professor of literature. Yeah, so. he was very kind of ritualistic in certain aspects, especially poetry, but I'm sure prose as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, I know you had mentioned The Pilgrim's Regress. Yeah. And this is kind of where we are. That was his first novel after becoming a Christian. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that? Just, um, so it was interesting, just the idea that he, he, it's the first novel he wrote as a Christian. He has no idea where he lies on this Christian, you know, like, what do Christians write about? Right? (laughs) So he takes The Pilgrim's Progress and kind of, uh, amalgamates it into something that he he would write, you know, and, and puts in his own thoughts and things. And um, so I thought really, like, I know a lot of people, even he himself, have like, been like, yeah, I don't, I don't really like this that much. But it was a good starting place for him. And I think every writer has that. Um, you have to have your starting place so that you can always look, look back and be like, at least it's not as bad as that stuff, yeah. you know? Like, And it truly, it's like he's starting his career over again yeah. from that point mm-hmm. is how big of a shift it is, which yeah. is an impressive undertaking. Yeah, it is. So, um, I mean, I haven't read it. Uh, I'm kind of interested in it. I've got the Pilgrim's Progress at home that I want to read, and then I want to read the Pro- Pilgrim's Regress just because I want to see what the difference is and, and all that. But, um, yeah, that's that's the only thought I had on it is that it was him trying to get started. Yeah. Um, and then not long after that, um, World War II starts. Mm-hmm. So at this point, he's lived through almost two world wars. Yep. Um, what a time. So uh, he was living with the Moors then, of course. And they actually took in child evacuees from London and other cities. Um, and this was the first time he'd really been around kids. And I think it was pretty influential on him because... Before that, he didn't really know anything about them. He didn't like them. Yeah. Didn't understand them. And now he slowly began to, like, appreciate them, get along with them. It sounded like he had positive experiences with the ones that they took in. Um, and that really made it possible for him to write the Narnia books later on. I don't... If they hadn't taken in the kids, I don't see the Chronicles of Narnia ever having been written. Because Warren didn't yeah. have kids. He didn't have kids in the family. Right. Right. I just don't see how you would write children's books without ever having hung out with kids sure which sounds terrible by the way but i i mean he wanted to write the books i think maybe they are the catalyst you know yeah they he always had that intention but maybe that made it easier for him to kind of visualize yeah um and around that time lewis actually tried to rejoin the military but wasn't accepted 
um, the recruiting office suggested he write columns for the Ministry of Information. Um, and I thought this was interesting and kind of inspiring. Um, he said he did not want to write, quote, lies to try to trick oh. the enemy. I'm like, oh, my man Lou is being principled and stuff. <laughs> yeah, because you're in journalism. Yeah. So, you, like, that probably is a big like, deal for you. That sent up red, red flags for me. I'm like, I'm not going to just write what you tell me to if yeah. it's not true, even if we are at war. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, he turned down that. But uh, between 41 and 43, he did speak on religious programs um, through the BBC. Mm -hmm. uh, while London was under air rage. And those broadcasts were really important because they got compiled into mere Christianity later on. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and that's that's a big book. Not a big physically book, but a big... Like, have you read it? Yes, I have. Twice. And I barely remember any of it. But I do know... Because uh, I read it when I was 20. Um, oh, okay. And this is when I started my uh, deconstruction of my own faith. Um, that's where I started. Because I was like, I love Lewis. And... I want to get down to what are the basics of my faith. And that's what mere Christianity is. It is something that a Catholic, a Protestant, you know, a Baptist, um, Lutheran, like anybody can read. And it is aimed towards Christianity. Um, if you wanted to just be like, what is Christianity about? <laughs> like, that's what this is about. And so it's a great place. For, I think in my mind, I think it's something that like, every high school graduate should get uh, if they're if they're a christian or, or something like obviously I'm or not interested christian. yeah um but it, it, it like if i was still a youth leader and and my my kids and my youth group were getting ready to graduate that would be something that i'd give them i'd be like look you, you need to read this as you go into college and you're going to be surrounded by the world and 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 all that then you um, you need to understand what are the basics of your faith because we're bombarded. We are brainwashed from a young age to just sing along to the worship songs and pray to God. And, and it's like, come on, <laughs> you need to know why you're doing it. You, you need to know where it comes from. And that's exactly what Lewis was all about. I mean, he loved literature. He, lo he, he was good at uh, Latin because he needed to know where... English words started and where they came from. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he was really good at is dissecting all of that and, and breaking it down. So, yeah. Do you remember if when you read it, could you tell that it was like different little segments all compiled like that? Like, yeah, it's definitely it. it each chapter feels like it was its own broadcast, broadcast, basically, which I didn't even realize it was broadcasted until after I had read it. Well, it seems like Lewis was pretty, he did that pretty often where he would write, short little snippets mm -hmm. of i mean complete writings but then combine them later yeah yeah exactly uh i think because he is a professor he only has yeah. so much time to actually write and so, and then he's writing letters to people and so a lot of his works are just compilations of his thoughts yeah you know uh i i think the when you get a novel it's it's special with with him because it's not just his thoughts on something, you know, that he collected over a period of time. Um, the Narnia novels, the Out of the Silent Planet, the Hideous Strength novels, the sci-fi stuff, those he sat down specifically to write a mm -hmm. story. All of his other stuff is just, that's what he's thinking about right now. Yep. So that's what he's going to write about right now. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a little bit of a difference in that. Yeah. And then um, after, or around the same time that he was doing the broadcast for the BBC, <clears throat> Um, he got the idea for the screw tape letters. Um, and I thought this was interesting. Um, 
George Sayer writes about how Lewis got the idea. Um, in 1940, he had been sick for a while, which had prompted him to sleep on Sundays instead of go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he thought of writing a book of letters from an older devil to a young devil who was just starting to work on his first patient. Right. Which basically means they're trying to yeah, take them away from their faith and he would need to undermine the patient's faith in prayer. So that's kind of how that idea came, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and I, I don't want I don't want this to become a Christian podcast. No, like, that's not what we're but doing. That's but so it's, much of what he was writing. So much about what he's doing, but but this this and I have I've read half of this one three times. Really, <laughs> I cannot get through this book uh, because it's so. I was about to say it, wordy. Well, how don't can say a book wordy. be wordy? You can't have a, a wordy book, um, but. It is such it's a... It's dense. It's not... It's not even dense. It's just such a different type of English mm. that I'm used to that it reading it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to read, which is great because that's part of the aesthetic of it. That's part of the the fun of it is like you are, you are getting a look at somebody's writing that you should not be allowed to read, <laughs> right? And And he didn't write this for you. He wrote it for his nephew, who would get this perfectly fine. So um, it's it's such an interesting book, and um, even from a, a non-Christian perspective, even just from an analytical perspective, it gives you an idea of like how our brains work. You know that there's always that metaphor of the demon and the angel on your shoulder, and I, I don't think we ever lose that, right? Because we're no. we're constantly like, oh, is this the right thing? Is this the wrong thing? And Screw Tape Letters is just as a fictional book, an interesting way of, of looking at psychology a little bit. And it was really well received too. Yeah. I mean, he originally wrote it as a series of 31 letters. After that, he sent them to the guardian newspaper and they were published one a week until like the end of 1941. Mm -hmm. But after that, um, some book publisher, she had read a couple of the letters and she was like, Hey, we got to publish this right away. So, it sold out before it was even officially released. Really? And I they didn't know reprinted that. it eight times in, I think, the first year. Yeah, eight times before the end of the year. Jeez Louise. So people loved the screw tape well, letters. Because there's nothing else like it. No. Like, yeah. Nobody, even at that time, like Demons and Angels, that wasn't a thing. Like nowadays, it's so kind of cliche to have demons and angels fighting. Yeah. But back then, it was, it, people really didn't care. I mean, maybe they believed in it, but it wasn't big in the in the pop culture or anything like that so i think honestly yeah. this maybe might it have been... was just different and unique yeah yeah i think it's a big deal um, um and that's when jack's real success began i think that's mm-hmm. when people started writing him so much that he had worn basically take on kind of secretarial duties yeah he kind of you know was his point person and warren would pretty much continue doing that for the rest of jack's life pretty much so yeah i thought that was really interesting he enlisted his brother for that which I don't want to say how Warren felt or anything, but Warren was also a writer, and <laughs> I have to imagine it was kind of hard for him. You, so I don't know this much about Warren. Did he actually release? Did he get published? I don't know how else? successful he was. I think hmm. he had a couple things published, but I don't know if they were novels or not. But I mean, just, maybe one day we'll have to do an episode on the on works Warren. of Warren. Right? <laughs> the, the underappreciated Lewis brother. Yeah, yeah. the better Lewis. <laughs> the secretary. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's the thing, though. We wouldn't have half the information we do about Lewis if it wasn't for Warren 
cataloging a lot of this stuff and and helping get it to publishers and stuff especially his letters Mm -hmm. um you know and and the reason why we don't know a lot about the relationship between lewis and um mrs moore is because he wouldn't talk to warren about the relationship between lewis and mrs moore because it was weird it was weird even when they were living together, <laughs> right? it's like, how do you I not know. know what's happening? They were all living together, one big in happy one family. one house, the Kleins, right? Kilns. Kilns, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Me and my but American. Yeah, yeah he's not really British. <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so, I mean, that kind of transitions into, this whole time, he was still with Mrs. Moore. Right. Whatever capacity you want to say about that. Yeah. Um, are we ready to proceed into the next chapter Do of it. his life? Proceed. Because uh, Mrs. Moore, obviously, being a lot older than him, mm-hmm. a lot older. A lot older. God rest her soul, she died in 1951. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't take, I mean, at the same time, he'd already sort of been corresponding with Joy. Joy. Yep. I, I don't know if you want to but, read into that at all, but. But it wasn't, I mean, he enjoyed Yeah, Joy. it was. Like, friendly correspondence. Yeah. So, um, Joy David Gresham was actually American. Uh, she was living in Florida. Yeah, F- Florida. Yeah. Uh, with a, She was married. She had two sons. Um, and in 1949, she had mentioned to a friend of theirs who published one of C.S. Lewis's work how much she admired his work. Of course. And he was like, you should just write to Jack. Yeah. So, she did... Um, her letter got there in 1950 and Jack and Warren actually, they were really into it. They were amused. They were impressed by it. And Jack responded pretty much right away. Yeah. Because again, Joy also is a writer, Mm -hmm. right? She was a poet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is yet another person who like, because she's in the shadow of Lewis, she gets overlooked. She gets overlooked. But she was a very good writer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So Joy was a little bit conniving, and she Ooh. she started brainstorming ways that she might, you know, have an excuse to go visit Oxford and meet Jack in person. Yeah, she's married, guys. Yeah, she <laughs> was, was married. She still. she yeah. was married. So her husband was kind of um, not a great dude. I mean, he was an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic. He was prone to fits of rage. Yeah. Um, There's so a re- she wasn't just like, mind. hey, I'm married, but I like yeah. this author, so I'm gonna go try and get with that guy. She was probably in a. You know, complicated emotional state. Yeah. Um, but I thought this was pretty clever of her. She developed a pen pal in London who was a woman and then eventually got invited to go visit her. Mm-hmm. And while she yep. was there, she, I think. <laughs> How do you think she's just like, you know, if you ever invited me to come right? visit, I totally would. She must have been a good people person because I'm like, I cannot figure out how that would work. I don't even know how to get a pen pal in England. <laughs> right? Like, I don't even know what the first step is. <laughs> just I know, and we have the internet, so... Yeah. which is like, it makes it too easy. Yeah, Joy's smart. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so by the time she actually went to London, her marriage was pretty much in a shambles, and right before she left, her cousin Renee came to stay with the kids and Bill. Um, so then, while Renee was there, Joy went to London and wrote to Jack, inviting him to lunch. He instead flipped the invitation and invited her and her pen pal, um, plus George Sayer, the author of my book, to... Oh, right. Uh, lunch at Magdalen College where he was working. Um, and, I mean, they hit it off. He oh, of ended up asking her to stay at the kilns, uh, and he and Warren got along great with her. And I thought this was kind of interesting. They said they treated her just as if she were a man, and that was what they liked best about her. <laughs> she did all the, 
because at first they were like really confused they're like well what do we do when we're hanging out with a woman yeah <laughs> these yeah. these two dudes who clearly do not have much they experience don't hang with, out with women they don't hang out unless with women. they're 30 years older <laughs> yeah and that's not a great barometer no <laughs> um but yeah that so is, that is interesting though like the one person that lewis ends up falling in love with not spoilers sorry but yeah um <laughs> Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> while I'm at it. Um, the uh, the one person that he falls in love with is someone that he enjoys being around because she's just one of the guys. Yeah. Like, and God, he, they were so messed up. They were... I, yeah. He didn't... From what I read about him, he didn't seem to have a lot of positive thoughts about women who acted like women. Yeah. Yeah, they had a place, and it wasn't... Uh, around Lewis. Yeah. But he liked Joy because while she was there, they took her to the pubs. She loved it. She drank beer. She yep. walked a lot with them. She made them laugh. Yeah. And that's all people she really want. She walked a lot and she drank beer. Which <laughs> seemed like kind of basic things, but yeah. when you're walking as much as C.S. Lewis, that's a lot of walking probably. Yeah. You need the beer. You need the carbohydrates from the beer to help, you know, yeah. keep you energized. And did she smoke tobacco with him? I don't know if she smoked or not, actually. Hmm. I don't remember seeing that because C.S. Lewis smoked a lot. All the time. All the time. <laughs> I have a pipe. I thought I went through a pipe phase. Really? Yeah, I Inspired by him? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. I would see pictures of Lewis and be like, well, Lewis did it. So <laughs> Kids don't smoke. But I did, I did smoke tobacco for a while. I stopped when I married my wife um, because she's like... <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Good all right, call. I love you, and I'm not. It's not that important to me. But uh, when I did it the most was when I was writing the first draft of my first novel, and uh, I would write for like six hours at a time. Which I don't know if you've ever done that. It sucks. Not recently. Um, so that's. I mean, I'd be putting down like six to seven, sometimes eight thousand words a day. Jeez. Right. Um, and at that point, my hands are just like numb, right? But my brain is just going and going and going and going. And I, at this point, it's so weird. I would smoke, but I didn't drink alcohol at the time, right? I was like, no to booze. Um, <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> I, I was very slowly changing that. Like, I'd drink cider, right? That was the extent. I'd be like, I'm going to go home and drink some, <laughs> some Angry Orchards. Oh. <laughs> right? Actually, Angry Orchards is still really no. good. But you don't like Angry Orchards? Nah. Oh, no. I like Avid. Uh, oh, okay, guys, Avid's if you want to send me some, <laughs> my address is. <laughs> Just kidding. Send it to the book nook. Yeah, send it to the book nook. <laughs> and and Cammy, they don't know why they'll get a bunch of uh, uh, ciders, but you can send it there and then we'll drink it on one of our shows. I like shows. blackberry and apricot. <laughs> really? Apricot? Really? good uh no cider apple cider that's the i only like apple cider but um yes. regardless you this were smoking a, a lot a of tangent within a tangent within a tangent good <laughs> lord anyway let's back up a little bit i would smoke because um because my mind is just reeling and so like just that that small buzz that i'd get off of the tobacco i'd be out on my porch on this super shitty little couch <laughs> and i'd just be smoking and reading narnia or some something you know at that point it was probably probably mere christianity or something and i would just be you know blazing away on my tobacco pipe okay so lewis this is why tyler is c.s lewis and i will never be successful uh they were both not great in school and, and they had a smoking problem i i did great in school and i don't smoke so i'm never gonna be a good writer it apparently. wasn't a problem i could quit whenever i wanted to <laughs> right 
It really wasn't ever. <laughs> I just, I literally did it because Lewis and Tolkien did it. <sighs> I've got my pipe. They I don't were bad think influence. I'll, I'll probably do it when my son is born. I'll probably smoke my pipe again just to be like, nah, I got a son. I'm sure Lewis would approve of that. Right? Yeah. He who never had children. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, Joy, to my knowledge, I don't know if she smoked or not. Probably. Everyone smoked. Whatever. Um, they ended up meeting again in December of the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she was in England for a long time, which right. leads me to speculate about her qualities as a mother and whatnot. But So she whatever. left her kids. She left her kids with their abusive dad. Well, not abusive, but say- like rageful and her sister. Okay. So maybe like maybe. mostly with the sister? Sometimes. But she like went to their home. So I assume mm. the dad was still there. Mm. I don't know. She she felt a calling to go to Oxford, I guess. Yeah. But she ended up staying at the Kilns over Christmas. Yeah. And then just before she was about to go back to the U.S., Bill, that awful husband Bill, sent her a letter saying he was in love with Renee and what? that they should get divorced. What? Holy cow. <laughs> yup. This is like some straight, like... Riverdale type stuff. <laughs> that was the first CW drama show I could think of. What's another one? Give me something. Gossip up. Girl. Nope. Nope. No, you're not going to go Pretty Little Gossip Liars. Girl? Okay, fine. Which I used to think the name of that show was Dirty Little Secret Girls. <laughs> Dirty Little Secret Girls. That's so much better. <laughs> so one day you and I will make the show Dirty, <laughs> Dirty Little, Little Se- Secret Girls. Yeah. And it'll have a lady go to London and then his her, her husband hus- falls in love with her sister. Yep. Bum, bum, yep. So uh, she went back to the U.S. And I guess she was like trying to make it work out for a while, but Renee was still there and it was awkward and she couldn't take it. So after a while, she agreed to the divorce. No way. That's super weird that she you're... couldn't take living in the same house as her husband and sister who Who's were like, you know, doing it. Probably. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so she eventually saved up enough money to move to England with the boys. Mm-hmm. And Bill let her take them, I guess. Well, yeah, he's got a yeah. new wife. Why would he want kids? He doesn't need them. I think she had kids too, so. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. They probably had plenty of kids. Whoa, and then your cousins become your stepbrothers? Oh, yeah. So weird. Yeah, it was probably for the best. I feel bad for her sons. They probably had quite the childhood. Oh, now I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So weird. Oh, man, that's going to mess with me. We need to find them and be like, hey, how are you doing yeah, after what, all of that? One of They're them, probably still alive. I watched a documentary one time. I think one of them's like a priest or something. I think. Okay. And he had a full-on English accent, which I was like, aren't you from America? Yeah, but they were youngish when yeah. they moved. Like, she had to enroll them in school and stuff. And yeah. So they were, they were taught to speak pre- proper, proper English. Proper English, yes. Hello, um... I'm Lewis's stepson. I don't need a name because that's who I am. That is the coolest thing <laughs> I, about me. I kind of went Australian there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so she was living there and she was obviously having trouble making ends meet. And Lewis, at first, like, he he didn't realize that he like really cared about her. I think he didn't want to get into a relationship because of the whole like divorce thing. Yeah. And, all of the Christian implications of that. Yep. Um, but eventually, I think... Do you remember how he realized that he loved her? I forgot. Uh, I I do, but I don't want to skip ahead too far. Oh. It's after they got married. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, 
1956, they ended up uh, doing a civil marriage just so she wouldn't be deported. Right. Uh, because that was a thing that was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, she, was, she was denied citizenship in, uh, in England. She was going to get deported. And so Lewis is like, hey, I mean, wouldn't it be crazy, you I mean, know, if, like, you didn't leave? You did. Like, I mean, I don't know. We could, ah, I don't know, get married or something. Something ah, crazy. <laughs> so crazy. I mean, just for the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, they got along very well. Yeah. He, I think he was taking care of her and the kids. In, like, he was paying for a lot of their stuff. Sure. He was a good dude. Yeah, he was. And, and they got married. And they got married. Um, and then Joy got cancer. Joy got cancer. Yeah. And so right, right about before there is when Lewis, I think, started to realize that he loved her. Yeah. Um, because she, she treated him well, um, which is different than Miss Moore. Um, (laughs) and he was her age, (laughs) which is different. I think she was younger. Well, yeah. But but more traditional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, and then, and they had a lot in common. She was also a Christian. She was also a writer and, and she gave him a family. Um, and I think that there's a a certain sense in that, that Lewis really, I mean, I think he maybe started to realize how much he'd been missing out, Mm -hmm. you know, because of this weird relationship he had with this older woman. Um, so I think he really started to fall in love with her and then, and then she got cancer. And I think, I think it kind of, kind of went hand in hand. I think that really nailed it in for him was like oh i'm gonna take care of you now yeah you know and and i'm gonna take care of you because i love you and it was during that process of lewis i mean like hand over foot taking care of her that she started to realize that she also very much fell in love with him well i think she loved him first and was more open about it really i think he was the kind of cagey one at first and she was like okay i'm not gonna push it too hard interesting yeah yeah um, but I don't know if we want to talk about Narnia now, because this is around the time that he was also, yeah, we've, we've got a few minutes left. So let's, I mean, whatever topics, whatever else topic you want to jump into, it's probably a good move. Okay. Um, so he wrote all of them in a super short amount of time. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he finished lion, the first one in 1949 and then, the Magician, which was the last one that he wrote mm-hmm. in 1954. Wow. So that's seven books in like five years. Yeah. Um, Real quick, uh, is this, this is before Joy died. Before she died. Yeah. So around the time when like their relationship was really blossoming yeah. and around the time when she was getting cancer. Yeah. Um, so he wrote his, basically his most famous works or his most enduring works, I would say, that are sure. popular in mass media. Yeah. Like, really, really inspired by a lot of the stuff. You know, you've got the kids that lived with them in World War II. You've mm-hmm. got, he now has kids running around the house, you know, that are, you know, his. And he's got a wife. And I think that all of that, especially if, if she's starting to get cancer, like, he's taking care of her. A lot of that fed into this, I don't know, maybe a retrospective look in, at his life. Mm-hmm. Right? And he started to come around to remembering how much he enjoyed writing books with uh warney as a kid you know and that was something that i wanted to touch on a little bit too um was when warney moved into the kilns he was super excited Mm -hmm. because he was like finally me and jack we get to go back to um i can't remember the name of their little land that they created as kids 
Oh. Um, you know, where it's a huge inspiration on Narnia. And, I mean, they grew up working on this land and talking animals and, you know, the history and the lore that comes into it. I mean, if you want to see where Narnia started, it's it's this, this um, project. I don't know what else to call it that they did as children. Ooh, that's my text phone. <laughs> my wife is telling me to get Panda Express, so. Very important. Yeah. Panda Express, our very first sponsor, <laughs> didn't pay us anything. Um, <laughs> um, so, like, it's super interesting. So he moves into the kilns, and he's like, hey, Lewis, you know, or Jack, we're going to redo this thing that we did when we were kids, huh? You know? And Jack was all like, nah, dude. Like, we're grownups now. We Our relationship is stronger than that. And it was really interesting, the letter that um, that Jack wrote to Warren saying, like, you know, we we have more things in common than this thing from being kids. You know, we we've lived an entire life, and we can we can find more. And then he goes and writes Narnia. Then he goes and writes Narnia. Right? Yep. Like, isn't that insane? But yeah, that's my little tangent. <laughs> um, so yeah, so after he had written them, uh, nineteen fifty six then was when he and Joy got married, and then later that year they did the actual like bedside hospital. Mm-hmm. marriage the mm-hmm. for real christian one yeah um but the next year she made a, a recovery yep and they you know traveled a bit and they had some happy years um but then it her cancer came back in 1960 and she died when she was 45 and jack was 62 mm-hmm. he ended up he did okay after her death i i think obviously he was sad about it but right i mean it didn't derail his life he still continued no. having a successful career. He wrote a lot. Um, well, and, and specifically, he wrote A Grief Observed, mm-hmm. uh, which is him working through that grief, losing losing joy. So it's not it's not something that, that's easy to just pass over. I mean, an entire yeah. movie was made about their love. Um, I don't know if you know about I that. I haven't. Uh, Shadowlands. Um, it's about C.S. Lewis and Joy, um, you know, falling in love and, well, getting married and falling in love and... <laughs> The proper um, order, obviously. Right, yeah. With Lewis, some orders are always a little bit off, which all, we're going to get all into orders. in a second. Um, but yeah, the, uh, but um, A Grief Observed, and, and it's something I haven't read yet, but I'm very interested in reading because from from how it's been described to me, it is an argument that he has with God. And that's not new to me, <laughs> right? That's something I do weekly. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd be very interested, and and I think it's something that you know it, maybe it'll help me understand a lot of people around me. I've got friends, I've got a friend who lost a brother and a child in the same year. Um, uh, I've got friends who uh, they lost their father just a, a few months ago. I've got um, you know friends who uh, a friend of our family committed suicide, and uh, my uncle adopted his daughters. Um, so like trying to understand that a little bit more because I am at a point in my life where I'm like, I don't know, it doesn't affect me, you know? And so I don't want to be so just kind of sociopathic about it. <laughs> so read some Lewis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe it'll help me out. No, that'll be, I mean, cause grief is like a universal human experience. Sure. We're all going to experience it at some point. So yeah. I think that's one of those topics that can be very impactful for a great number of people. Yeah. Um, ultimately he didn't live that long after joy. Right. Um, 
He wasn't a super healthy person. Obviously, we've talked about the Except smoking a lot. Except for his three-mile hikes. Except for his hiking, but he smoked a lot. <laughs> a lot. So and he I drank a lot. He drank a lot. Yeah. So I don't think it should surprise anyone that he wasn't in great health. And I think it was ultimately his uh, infected kidneys to the point of toxemia that kind of mm. put him over the edge. Yeah. Um, although... With that being said, he did smoke until about a month before his death. Um, <laughs> nah, I ain't then, gonna quit. No, he's not. He's not gonna quit. He spent his final days reading his favorites, like the Odyssey yeah. and Plato's works, and it seemed very serene. And then uh, one day, Warren found him on the floor. Oh no! Oh, sad. So, uh, interestingly, Clive died one week before his 65th birthday on November 22nd. The same day that JFK was hour. The same hour that JFK was assassinated, and also the same day that author Aldous Huxley died. Yeah, didn't so, know about the other one. Conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> but no, no the JFK thing is wild. Right? Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh. Uh, I, I <laughs> he don't got know way wh- overshadowed. I don't. Yeah. Right. Everyone's like, oh, the president of America got shot in the head by a magic <laughs> bullet. And Warren's like, but my brother fell. My brother. <laughs> and he can't he, get up. He wrote about a lion. <laughs> yep speaking of which now yeah that and uh, i mean i'm sure that was pretty sad but we have something more important to talk about what's the proper order to read the chronicles of narnia okay i'm on team the order in which he wrote them really which is with the lion the witch and the wardrobe being first okay and my pretty much sole reason for this is from the way it's written the lion the witch and the wardrobe feels like an introduction to Narnia. They don't start with the assumption that you know what Narnia is. Mm -hmm. You're kind of following along. You're following Lucy through the wardrobe and being like, hey, what is this magical world? Whereas the other books, I think you're going to tell me which one is the proper one, but I think I know the one that you're going to say. The other books kind of just throw you right into the action. Mm. So that is the reason that I think the order in which you wrote them is the proper reading order. But do you know what the, that actual order is? The chronological one? Yes. Okay. What What is the written order? Oh, the written order. Well, he wrote uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right, first. Right, but what are the rest of them? What's the rest of the order? Oh, the rest of the written in order. So yeah. the order in which he wrote them was Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, uh-huh. um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, okay. Silver Chair, The Horse and His Boy, The Magician's Nephew, uh, and The Last Battle. Okay. Wait, am I missing one? Nope, that's seven. Okay, yeah. Right? Uh, I think so. Lion, Caspian, um, Treader, mm-hmm. and then what? Silver Chair. Silver Chair. Horse and his boy, Magician's Nephew. That's only six. And the last battle. And the last battle is yes. seven. Yep. Uh, that's not how I'd read them. And I totally get why you would go chronological in, in the order of written. Written order, yeah. Um, like, that's how a lot of people would, would go. But to me... The purpose of, of writing stories that have prequels and little, you know, side things is to give the world more so that when someone comes in, they can experience it the way that you weren't able to as the author. Um, and so when I write my books, when I write my trilogies and the prequel trilogies and the sequel trilogies, I'm going to write them. I'm going to write all my And I've gone through and told you all of my stuff. He right? has. Told me. She, she says with a heavy side, <laughs> like heavy eyes. like It's very intricate. Yeah. 
And I've written it, or not written it all, but I've come up with an idea that hopefully makes it so that it's easy to jump in because you can any jump point. in anywhere. Um, but that's, we don't need to go into that. Um, but to me, the reason why he wrote specific books is so that you can be introduced to certain things in a sp- certain order. I agree that um, the the wardrobe scene, being introduced to Narnia is really important, but we're being introduced to a Narnia that's completely different than is created in The Magician's Nephew. Um, so to me, it's The Magician's Nephew, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, A Horse and His Boy. That's number three. Ah, okay. And then Princess Caspian. Um, and the reason why is because A Horse and His Boy takes place while um, the, uh, the children have grown up in Narnia like the first time that they're there and they're and they're becoming adults because mm-hmm. if you I don't know if you remember or not while they're in Narnia they they're there yeah, for a really they long stay. time they grow up well a horse and his boy takes place while they're the kings and queens of Narnia right so to me that's just the coolest shit <laughs> ever like because you don't get that anywhere else yeah um they go back to earth and they come back to prince caspian you know and when he's called and they're kids again um and then they just go straight back to earth you know and um so yeah for me it's magician's nephew wardrobe and then horse and his boy and then the rest follow you know the caspian treader uh the silver chair and last battle nice yeah that's that's my reading order i mean i respect that yeah. You're totally wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> Megan, what's yours? She's not there. Megan is the owner of the book nook. She's hanging out, listening to this entire thing. So we're gonna make her commit to an order. Yeah, what's your order? Are you chronological or are you written? No, I'm written. Oh, yes! She's written. She's written. Let the record show. <laughs> All right. Well. So if you can't hear her, she's saying that she likes experiencing it the way that the author did, which is totally understandable, but wrong. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've been going for yeah we're about an hour now or maybe more. A little over. The, the one last thing that I'd like to just kind of talk about real fast is, and, and this is not, um, this is not a defense of Christianity at all. Again, I don't want this to seem like it's going to be a Christian podcast. We're going to get into H.P. Lovecraft. Christ is not going to come into that conversation <laughs> literally at all. Um, I mean, I might bring it in because that's what I do. Um, but no, it's not. I'll shut him down. <laughs> no! <laughs> Rest assured. Cthulhu is not a metaphor for Jesus dying and coming. No, um, it's not. But uh, the, the one thing that I really wanted to kind of point out, and I wrote it somewhere, and it's gone. There it is. Basically... So you look at, there's, there's this big thing that happened in C.S. Lewis's life where he was very imaginative as a kid. And then as he became more atheistic and more philosophical and all that, uh, more academic, he lost a lot of his imagination. And there's this real struggle within him that he sees within himself that he, is, he has to make a choice. Mm-hmm. That he can't be both imaginative and logical at the same time. And part of and and he starts to kill off this imaginative side, and that's where a lot of his poetry, like you see a lot of that dying off. Um, and then he starts to write academic works, and he starts to just kind of write essays and stuff. Um, 
and then it's it's in his time that he's with Tolkien and Charles Williams and uh, Hugo what, what was it Hugo name? Dyson Hugo that Dyson and, and these things start to come back because he starts to see that his his academic works can feed into the imaginative right um, and then he accepts Christ again or not again but he accepts Christ and he becomes a Christian and that's when you talked about this last week. Uh, I don't know if it was on the show or not, but you were kind of like, I don't understand why he, like, out of... No- oh, my goodness. Now, still Panda. <laughs> Specifically what we're getting at, Panda. Um, um, <clears throat> you were saying you you don't understand how, like, out of nowhere, he like, he wasn't a very good poet. He wrote one book of poems, and then suddenly he's just writing a whole bunch of stuff. And you see it after he becomes a Christian, Right. And I think there's a really cool metaphor in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that really parallels that, where you have this land that was once abundant, and it was, you know, the tree of, uh, that gave the fruit that, that healed um, the, kid's, the kid's mom. Like, it was this magical place, and it was now just covered in frost. It still existed, but it was just, it's just empty and deserted and dead, and everything is, is just waiting it's just waiting for summer to come or for spring to come. And and that is such a representation to me in Lewis's life that he had this imagination, he had this fantasy and this magical world. And then as he as he left it and went more philosophical and academic, it just was was overgrown with, with cold and everybody was just waiting and waiting and waiting for spring to come. And finally when Christ comes into his life it springs again and you know the magic comes back and and everyone is free and you see all of that happen in his life in this great metaphor in that book um that was a great metaphor from you right there yeah i didn't read that anywhere that wasn't from the narnian that like that was me thinking about that today um while i was driving i made the note while i was driving so i was being very bad I cannot think of a better place to end this podcast than that metaphor within a metaphor. You used a C.S. Lewis book as the metaphor for C.S. Lewis's writing career. Yep. Yep. There we go. That was that was something else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us if you made it this far. Um, and uh, Hannah, we need to say goodbye to stuff. Yeah, so we need to remind you to please uh, do you subscribe. Have this, do you have this memorized? I don't. I was about to pull it I up. was just going to say some things. You can pull it up in case I forget anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys, uh, I can't wait for next episode. We're going to be talking about H.P. Lovecraft um, at, for at least one episode. Honestly, Lovecraft is so interesting and so prolific uh and and amazing which is a word i already used but also a hot mess of a person yeah and he's just let's see if i can do a lovecraft he's just dripping with uh evil intention with of abundant veracity and viscous of the mind i don't know that's my best lovecraft off the top of my head he is a a horror sci-fi writer um very very cool uh, i'm very excited to get into him so uh if, if you guys enjoyed this uh please check out the next episode when it comes out cool and in the meantime uh you can find us on facebook and also uh if you have any comments you can always email us at lewis and lovecraft at gmail.com also 
Uh, we want to take a moment to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. Jake Basson! He's super talented. We are so appreciative of yeah, him taking the so time much. to make this for us. Um, and you can find his work at soundcloud.com backslash Jake Basson. And if you want to support our show, the best way to, well, there's a few best ways to do it. One of the best ways that you can do it is to rate our show and review it, mostly on iTunes. Um, that's where the biggest uh, people are and where people get you know found and stuff. So definitely, if you could just, I mean, literally five minutes, and, and really five minutes is probably more time than it actually takes. <laughs> and if you don't want to go to iTunes, you can always do it on Facebook, right? That's yeah, thing. yeah. yeah. You can write us there. <laughs> just, you know. I don't want you sitting over there going like, no, Tyler, don't say Yeah, that. as far as I can tell, that's factually accurate. So uh, leave us a, a five-star rating or, you know, fewer stars if you really hate us. But tell us why yeah, so we don't can improve on it. Yeah, don't just give us a one-star. Just like, tell us why. Tell us though. why. You guys suck. <laughs> I thought this was going to be about Lewis Fish's... I don't know. I couldn't think of another Lewis thing. <laughs> I just want you guys to be really specific in your hatred or your adoration. Yes. Preferably the latter. Right. If you're going to do a three star, I guess that it means that you could just be like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> didn't hate him. Didn't, didn't like him. Whatever. Um, and then uh, subscribing to our show. That's a, gr- that's a great way because then you get to stay on top of everything that we're doing. Uh, whether that's iTunes or Google or Stitcher or uh, wherever you, you listen to your podcast, I know I use Podcast Addict on my phone, um, so it's not any of the main things. It's just kind of a third party. But just subscribe on there, and it helps us know that people are listening, and it really helps us out. And as always, tell a friend. Dude. Talk, talk to a human. Just just one person today. Just if you listen for each episode that you're going to binge, tell one person for each episode and just be like, yo, you, you hear this? This guy does a terrible English accent. It's so Australian. It like bad Australian. <laughs> so Australian. Might. I'm just uh, never going to do accents. <laughs> I don't want to put myself out there like that. Yeah. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And, um, yeah, uh, subscribe, tell friends, uh, leave a review. Peace. Peace out. <laughs>